Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in to Urban Narratives, the podcast sharing stories about the city. I'm Camille Stadler. And I'm Evie Petku, and together we discuss how design, culture and people help shape our urban environments. We will talk to experts with different backgrounds and share the work they do to contribute to the places they live. Urban Narratives is a platform inviting conversations about the responsibility we all share for developing the sustainable cities of today and tomorrow. Welcome, Camilla, to Urban Narratives. We're so well, excited to have you as our first well, thank guest. You. Yeah, thank hello. you for coming into my dining room. So nice to see your home. I guess you've been spending a lot of time there these days, right? Yeah, I've been home since uh, March 11th, uh, when the prime minister announced the lockdown and the entire municipality just closed right away. We've been continuing to work sort of via teams, but it's not the same thing as being in person. I guess there's also a lot of, uh, a lot of work you guys have to do right now. I mean, there, there's really a strong political mandate right now to keep pushing. So the projects that are ongoing, like local area plans or building permits, they really have to keep going and keep going even quicker. Uh, the city and, and the national government have lifted some of the um, expenditure uh, ceilings that have existed before the Endlichsloft uh, in Danish. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. particularly there's a lot of renovation happening in the schools and uh, we're starting renovation projects also in uh, some of the public subsidized housing. Um, and all of that really has to continue at super speed. Uh, and then I, I guess all of my colleagues are just like trying to figure this out as we go along because there's so many things changing in the city right now and everyone has to adjust their, their work and people are using the city differently and, and just like everyone from traffic to uh, tra- public transit to the guys that handle the, the waste in the streets have to work in new ways and that's really challenging. Yeah, it's something that we've never seen before, I guess. It's a totally new way of doing everything. I've been surprised at how quickly the municipality has actually adjusted. People have been super flexible to make things work. And and really the people that have kept on working are like the ones, the guys that are out on the streets, in the parks, in the parking attendants and the, the guys who are cleaning the trash. And the, these guys have all been super flexible in terms of doing other work than they usually do. You might have heard that in Copenhagen, we have the, we have the five lakes around the city center and they've been, um, they've been one way uh, to kind of keep social distance. So you can only run or bicycle one way around them. And all the parking attendants had to uh, go and patrol that instead, which is totally not wow. their job, but they're kind of used to dealing with people <laughs> that misbehave. Yeah do like get angry in public space as well and so so they've kind of just taken on that challenge i just think like there's there's a lot of flexibility happening and everyone is understanding that they have to kind of buckle up and keep things rolling that that's actually very interesting to hear also what are the changes under this crisis maybe you can tell us for who doesn't know you what is actually your role as a copenhagen city architect Yeah, so in the city of Copenhagen, there are seven different departments from finance to children to culture and 
I work across all of the departments, advising on all matters related to architecture and urban politics, planning and so on, design in the city. But on an everyday basis, I work in the technical environment department, which has 2,000 employees. And that's everything from local area plans to per building permits and the guys that maintain our parks and streets. So a third of my work is maybe working across the different departments and advising. And then a third is uh, I do a lot of representation of the city. So a lot of press and conferences and visitors from abroad that come to hear about the Copenhagen story. And of course, all of that has disappeared right now during this lockdown. And then the last third of my time, I do um, strategic advice and sort of try to set the agenda internally in the municipality, talking about the future trends and how our uh, further education should be developed or what new guidelines we need to think about in terms of meeting future challenges. And, and it's actually not every Danish city that has a city architect. So this is quite unique. It's Copenhagen and Aarhus and a few others. Yeah, there's nine cities now in, in Denmark that have city architects. And then uh, there's um, two cities that have a council of architects uh, that come and okay. advise on the major projects a couple of times a year. Okay. But I think, you know, in, in some places like Sweden, it's really common and there's even a national architect uh, that coordinates the political advice towards the, the national government. And the main task of the city architects in in the cities in Copenhagen is to guide and advise the politicians who make the decisions and decide what actually happens in our cities. Because of course, even though you're a mayor or, or you're a publicly elected professional, you don't necessarily like know, need, know everything about architecture and planning. So I'm sort of the independent advisor for the politicians. So you're actually working directly with the policymakers and potentially yeah. can have a bigger impact on things getting implemented and the direction the city should develop. But it is an indirect counseling. Yeah. So mm. it's always the politicians that have the final saying and what, what goes. Yeah. But I think more and more uh, cities across Denmark are implementing architecture policies out of the 98 cities. There's about 25, 30 cities that now have an architecture policy. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, then they're, they're uh, hiring city architect as kind of the person that leads that architectural discussion and direction yeah. in the city. So the cities are aware how, how important it is to have a city architect. You mentioned that more and more cities are coming with city planners. Who is looking for this necessity? I, I think it's a part of the public debate as well. The people are mm -hmm. interested in how their, their cities are developing and, and they want to ensure equality and just really engage. But right now it's primarily the larger cities in Denmark that have a city architect. And I think there's a great role in maybe some of the, the smaller cities, municipalities, like the really rural areas that are struggling because talking about architectural quality and planning is not only about sort of cities that are developing and increasing. Uh, there are equal challenges if you're in a remote area of Jutland trying to survive and, and trying to understand what to do with your architectural heritage or your dying village. That's a planning mm. issue as well. So, you know, hopefully I'll have some more colleagues in the in the coming years. And I, I think Danes are really interested in design and architecture and and they want to discuss and want to challenge their 
decision makers. I think also, especially now, it's super important to have uh, architects and also a team of planners within municipalities when we're dealing with a situation like we are at the moment with a pandemic. I mean, in Denmark, maybe some people don't know this, but in Denmark, we actually haven't had a total lockdown like in a lot of other European countries. And we relatively early on, I think 11th of March, um, a lot of the public institutions and public workplaces send their employees home, like you mentioned, Camilla, but also private workplaces, they also voluntarily chose to close down and restaurants were shut down and in schools and childcare, etc. But maybe you, you already mentioned some of the steps Copenhagen has actually taken, like implementing a one-way system around the lake. But as, as people have been continuing to spend time in public space, what, what other steps has, has the city taken to make sure that people are able to still do that safely? Yeah, I mean, of course, this is really early on. We're only about two months into this really challenging time, but we're beginning to have some data and to understand uh, what this means from the city. So right now, it seems that about a third of everyone is working from home, and that completely changes, of course, our public transit systems. And so we've um, extended also the, the operating times for the metro, in very many trains, you have to book a ticket now so that train companies can calculate how many will be driving and ensure enough space in the public transit. We do see actually that people are spending more time in public space. A study just came out by, by Gale Architects today talking about the increase in different public spaces in four different Danish cities and Copenhagen among them. And in some of the boroughs, it's up to two and a half times more activity in local neighborhood spaces because people are just desperate to get out. It's been beautiful, wonderful spring weather in, mm. in Denmark and, and everyone is kind of cooped up in these small apartments. So I think as a, a city, that's challenging for us. How to suddenly deal with a lot of people that usually go to the fitness gym maybe or, or like are active in other ways, but now really actively use the city, which is something we usually encourage and we love people to be more active but we have to maintain social distances. So some of the things that we've been looking at is things that I would never have thought in, in my, my city that we, that we would think about, like the one-way direction around the lakes or Eastlandsburger, which is a really popular um, harborfront location with a beautiful park and a big green lawn. Uh, first of all, we had to ban people from staying in that space because they were congregating too closely together. And then they were fined. And now we're taking sort of a more nudging approach where the space has been uh, marked in squares with white paint like you do on a, a football field. And so kind of indicating what are the social spaces and how to keep that, that respect. And I heard someone talking about it as a Dogville architecture or Dogville urbanism, <laughs> like from the Lars von Trier movie. And I thought that was, that was such a cool like image <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, of like all the social norms of that movie and how they are controlled yeah. in our spaces. But we're still figuring it out. And I think the challenge is that usually we want to do things that are fun and nice and exciting and, and draw crowds. And now we completely have to reverse our thinking. Uh, mm -hmm. And we can't create places to go uh, by putting more benches and tables or play equipment because that will draw too many people. 
it's also people are living more locally this has changed the way people are moving and where people spend time and now people are spending time in their local neighborhoods and i've seen some amazing videos and photos of yeah. concerts happening in courtyards because people can't go to a concert anymore in Vega or downtown Copenhagen. So actually things like that are coming to where people live. And that must also be quite a different way of using the city than before. I guess people are maybe walking more or biking more to kind of avoid the public transport, of course. But I think the relation that they have with the neighborhood because they have to keep the social distance so they kind of know where they are going and so on. I think that also can influence people's relation between the neighbors, for example. I think people are becoming aware in a crisis, naturally zooming into the things that are, are close to them and, and they're acting helpful towards their neighbors. And, mm. But I, I think in terms of the architecture, there, there are certain things like we're seeing these fantastic images from Italy and Spain of people singing on the balconies and Danes have kind of tried to replicate that as well. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, having outdoor spaces or having a balcony to your apartment has been seen a little bit of like a luxury. But now we're kind of remembering the early modernists in the 30s started building balconies because of public health and, and safety and providing fresh air. So we're sort of returning to some of the ideals from early modernism and, and remembering what that was about. Mm. And in terms of, of the city, there's for a long time been a debate about whether we've permitted too many balconies on the old beautiful buildings in the boroughs because they've been um, destroying some would say i would say some of the architectural heritage by by implementing a lot of balconies on these old buildings from around the turn of the century but i think this crisis is showing us that that these outdoor spaces are really important and maybe they are more important than preserving the beautiful stucco facades of the buildings. And so some realizations that I personally have like made or that have changed my mind about how I perceived architecture and permitting in our cities. Also, I guess people are, are trying to find more nature or like where the parks are because they want to just like a fresh air, but still keep the distance. And I think that's also is interesting to, to see it. But another thing that we, we also observed is that, uh, well, we are all working from home. Do you think that's going to continue in the future? How do you think this, this format is going to be? I think we've definitely seen how much work can actually be done when we're all at home. Um, so I think it's going to have an impact both on, on our, our homes, like a lot of people live in these open spaces, like myself, that, that don't work very well when you're working from home. I have a husband and two kids that are homeschooling. And that's just really noisy during the day. And you need smaller rooms where you can go in and close the door and have these Zoom meetings. And the same applies to offices. I, I think in the future, we'll see office spaces uh, diminish and maybe be for 70, 80, 60% of, of the work staff where people will be working much more flexibly. I mean, I can definitely see the advantages of not traveling to work every day and i i must say in some terms i do work more and harder uh, when i'm at my computer at home because of being able to concentrate in a different way but do you think we're also gonna start thinking how to design the future buildings like thinking this way that has to be a little bit more flexible yeah there's a flexibility but there's also i think some core values that we are rediscovering and just something 
understanding how many doors in a building give that flexibility. Right now we're seeing in our schools and also as businesses begin to open up that we're trying to disperse people so they're not using the same stairwells, the same elevators, uh, same entrances to buildings. And I mean, that has so many other benefits in our city if, you know, in terms of activating the streets and, and the public space if we have many doors, but we haven't been thinking about that in terms of public health before, mm. but only yeah. in terms of like activity and transparency. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe some of the things that are eternal, good uh, <laughs> urban design as different defined by Jan Giel and Jane Jacobs and many others yeah. kind of apply to some of the solutions that we're looking at here as well. We've also been thinking a lot about this work from home. And like you say, we've been talking about is our office spaces going to get smaller? I mean, ultimately, companies would prefer not to pay a high rent mm -hmm. and maybe keep a good address somewhere in the city center, but maybe a smaller office. Do we end up having a lot of empty spaces uh, yeah. where there would have I mean, otherwise been offices? And what, what could that be used for instead? I think one thing I've been observing, which has been really interesting, is that in Denmark right now, all the shopping malls are closed. And of course, all the stores that are not food stores in the shopping mall then have to close. And I've been seeing like pop-up shops and, and people that have a store inside a, a shopping mall now moving back to main streets and actually activating mm. uh, those ground floors that have been difficult to rent. So I think that's like a really positive spin, side spin of moving outside the, um, the shopping malls. In terms of office spaces, I mean, something similar might happen. There's a big push right now for housing in Copenhagen as well. So I could, you could assume that some of that would become housing instead. But of course, our real challenge is, as you were saying, Camilla, to provide more green and more mm -hmm. accessible green. Yeah. I mean, right now, Copenhagen has about um, 30 square meters per person, mm -hmm. and, and we're growing by 10,000 new inhabitants a year. And so we just need to find and to provide more green. And I think your observations are absolutely correct that people are like seeking open spaces in another way, and yeah. they're seeking larger spaces. And so we, we, we had been planning for seven new public parks in the next uh, 12 years of our municipal plan. But I think we're definitely going to have to revisit that and revisit the scale because the scale of what we were looking at was like one, two hectares. And that's going to fill up like instantly. You have to have really big spaces or, or, or continuum of different size spaces that are connected. And of course, good side effect of that would also be like increase of biodiversity and more um, areas for climate adaptation. So I think in terms of, of planning and learning some of the things from this crisis, you know, that can have some benefits on the other subjects that we're trying to solve in the city. That would be fantastic to yeah. see Copenhagen become, becoming a much more green city because we talk a lot about, you know, green plans and also climate adaptation, but there's a lot of cities in Europe, especially that are much more green than Copenhagen itself is. And I think it has the potential to become a really fantastic resource that yeah. can do much but, more than just be a park or... And I, I think we're understanding that it's really a necessity. 
what is driving this? Like for the last 10 years, what's been driving investment in public space in Copenhagen has been climate adaptation because we had some big floods and, and, and uh, storms uh, about a decade ago. And now with this crisis, this is really giving another value to planning for green and planning for more public space. So I think some of these political and societal challenges are really driving the development in an interesting way. And, and then the challenges, of course, how do we balance that so we don't end up having a complete uh, suburban sprawl spread or like Ebenezer Howard, uh, Garden City yeah. uh, mm -hmm. movement, because in terms of public transit and, and providing services, amenities, we're still interested in the dense city, but a new sort of dense, maybe. I actually heard on the radio, was it today or yesterday, that different municipalities are starting to discuss opening up uh, nature spaces and parks for daycares and schools to use it. And actually in Copenhagen, that is a huge issue with kids that are back in school now. There's a minimum uh, requirement for square meter per child, which I think at least in daycare, it's six square meters per child. Yeah. And of course, Copenhagen doesn't have the space. And maybe it's interesting also for other cities and countries that haven't opened up again to hear how, how Copenhagen specifically is tackling this yeah. and how... So right now, in terms of opening up our kindergartens, Danish cities have managed to open theirs. Uh, Copenhagen is not quite there yet all, in terms of opening all of them. And the schools are open up to the fifth grade. And what we're doing now is talking to the zoo and the Tivoli Amusement Gardens, but also uh, the National Football Stadium to borrow some of their open space and have schools there and, and talking also to venues like Forum, which is a big uh, concert and event space. Some of the big hotels are also offering uh, opportunities to, to use their ballrooms and so on. But when we start to do this, this is going to be really challenging, of course, for, for the teachers and everyone have to completely restructure the way they're, they're going about their, their daily work. So I think you know, that flexibility that we talked about initially also with the garbage or the parking attendance, everyone is, is having to, to do that. So I, I think what we're seeing is also right now around our main hospital that we have to build these larger uh, testing areas uh, that, that are isolated, that people can come to without endangering themselves or others. And so having a flexibility of, of space like not bending too densely might also be a lesson from this that we need to kind of be able to to scale and and uh, and one of the things that I've been thinking about is how do we in the future when we're we're building schools when we're building public institutions libraries sports halls and so on how can we maybe place them close to each other or close to public spaces so that that flexibility and that synergy can sort of be used if we, God forbid it, have another crisis like this. Yeah, it's a big change for everyone. I mean, the whole city is going to like reshape again our behavior, but also how to, to put these pieces in the puzzle together in a way. You have been talking about public space and uh, we have been talking about nature and so on and about missing maybe some parks in Copenhagen, but also Copenhagen has also a lot about the waterfront. We are surrounded by water and and this is also something that Copenhagen is very proud of, to have really clean water around and so on. 
and summer is coming and um as you said like we have to start thinking about all this strategy and how we are modifying how we use the space but how are you preparing for the summer like things are starting open up next week even more how Copenhagen is going to welcome uh, summer under yeah. this price right now. So right now we have seven official uh, harbor baths in the city harbor where you can swim. And outside those, it's illegal to swim. You'll get a fine from the police because there can be boats and kayaks and tourist tour boats. Mm -hmm. uh, but there, there are political suggestions now to open up all of the harbor for swimming or for recreation. Uh, but of course, that's going to limit the boats and, and the, the sailing uh, activities in our harbor. So I think that's, that's a balance that we're going to have to discuss. Do we open all the harbor parks or half of the harbor and then keep some of the recreational sailing as well? Um, another thing we're looking at is in terms of getting the restaurants and cafes open. So can we remove some street side parking and provide outdoor space for serving to sort of get that industry started? And that um, coincides also with a um, political decision about uh, removing cars from the city center, which is an ongoing debate. And in the spring, there's going to be a political decision whether we take away all the street parking in the city center. So luckily, you could say we have that flexibility of through some regulations, maybe providing more space. But, but of course, in a dense city, uh, like everywhere, that's really a negotiation between different needs and different uses. So do we prioritize parking and, mm. and places for people that need to go into the city and work, people that, that are, are working in services or, or crafts, or do we prioritize the cafe seats? That's mm. a difficult political decision as well. It's interesting that you mention removing parking from the city center to to allow more space for outdoor seating for cafes we actually had a question from one of our instagram followers regarding traffic in city centers and mm -hmm. how for example in vienna and berlin there's actually been some big political decisions being made about removing some of the the car traffic from the inner cities and allowing some of the streets to be uh, primarily for pedestrians and bicyclists and of course we have amazing cycle networks everywhere in uh, Copenhagen but have have there been any discussions about this or further discussions because I know this has been on the table regarding terrorism and security before. Initially um, the discussion about removing cars in the city center which is about removing about 75 percent of the th through traffic there are always going to be some cars for handicap services, accessibility, uh, people that have to do deliveries and so on. Um, initially, it was really instigated by the terrorist attacks, as you said, in Southern Europe and, and in the UK. But since then, it's really been about um, air pollution and trying to create better air quality in the city. And I think that's something that we've seen dramatically improve during this crisis. And it just shows like what an impact that makes in our city. And it's been like doing a pilot project in one-to-one in -one over two months and measuring what's been happening on the streets. Um, I think initially, when we started discussing removing cars in the city center, the eight and a half thousand inhabitants that live in the city core of Copenhagen were really positive about that. But they wanted like green spaces, play spaces, but non-commercial spaces, um, because the city center already has 
like so many other places, lots of tourists, lots of nightlife, lots of noise, which is difficult to handle if you're living in the city center. So, you know, that's another battle. That's another Mm -hmm. conflict. If we support the, the restaurants by opening up, all of the inhabitants will really struggle and, and have a hard time. Yeah. But I, I do think that everyone is eager to help in this situation and, and be positive, mm-hmm. but that's maybe in the short term. So as this develops into longer term patterns, we, we have to find some compromises because of course, you know, we still want boats in our harbor. Uh, we need uh, parking some spaces. We don't want people leaving the city center and not living in the city center because everything is like an outdoor bar. Uh, so, mm. so those compromises have to happen. We have been talking about short terms, but talking about long terms and also as our last question, <laughs> is there any learnings that other cities can take from what we have learned so far? How the future can be re- rethinked or redesigned, I would say? Mm. I think... One, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is a, um, an article from Richard Florida where he talks about like rich density and poor density, that if you are in a wealthy society or in a wealthy neighborhood, uh, you can work from home like we are doing right now because you have a job that enables you to do that. Yeah. And, and you can keep social distance and you have a, a balcony or a courtyard. And we're seeing in Denmark and in Copenhagen, unfortunately, that the poorer parts of our society and our immigrant societies that live closer together are are more vulnerable to the coronavirus. And I think that's like one of the the really hard lessons that we have to learn from and we have to to really start to improve some Mm -hmm. of the life conditions for the less fortunate in our cities and really improve the living conditions and provide more space and uh, more green, I think, uh, for, for those vulnerable citizens. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge challenge and it's definitely not something that's going to be done in the short term. But luckily, cities are very dynamic and they're constantly changing and they've been able to adapt uh, when faced with difficult situations in the past. We also have to remember, like, a lot of things stay the same because they're good quality. And some of, some of the, the great pieces of architecture that we do enjoy in Copenhagen, like the Doctors' Association uh, townhouses, mm-hmm. I mean, they came from the cholera epidemic 150, 160 yeah. years mm-hmm. ago, right? So, and, and when Copenhagen burned uh, in, in the 1800s, when the, the series of, of very devastating fires, on the top of that, we have this wonderful uh, classicist architecture with corners cut off. Our cities have survived different kinds of crises, and architecture has all the time adapted and found mm. new solutions that we today really treasure. And I, yeah. I'm hopeful that, that architects and planners will rise to that challenge as well. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Urban Narratives. To join the conversation, head over to our Instagram page and let us know how you contribute to your city.